Yo, Remix. Hey, what's up? It is Mike Hurley, Hurley Edition, Best of Podcast. It is Thanksgiving week, so, you know, it's 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 a time of week where, you know, it's a short one. So I figured, you know, we're hitting the six-month mark on the podcast this, this week. May 26th was the first one. So by my subtracting skills, 11 minus 5 equals 6. So six months, we're hitting it. Uh, thanks for checking it out. I am a little bit out of my element right now because I've moved. I'm now uh, in the WBZ building, and there's a brand new podcast studio here. Everything's perfect. I'm just getting used to it. Currently, the, the table's shaking. I'm not sure what kind of construction's going on in and around this building. But anyways, uh, I, I apologize if anything's a little disjointed here as I get started, but uh, I wanted to, to celebrate six months. Who who? They said I couldn't do it. They said we couldn't get to six months. And look at us now. Look who's winning. So I, I realized that, you know, I appreciate, first of all, you checking this out. I appreciate you checking out any podcast. And I realize that probably if you've checked out one or two or three, there's certainly a lot of people that, that listen to every single one, but maybe you missed some and, and they're like an hour long and you can't catch them all. So I wanted to go back through over the past six months and pick out some of the uh, some of the high points, you know, some of the more interesting moments, some of the more memorable moments. And uh, thanks for anyone who, who uh, gave me some suggestions on Twitter. It helped go through the last, uh, geez, I don't know, 20 hours of audio. So I think I got a little bit. Uh, but again, new studio, new tech, doing my best here. So uh, if, if there's like a jump or a skip or something's not right, just be like, wow, Hurley's an idiot and doesn't know how computers work. And then just move on, you know, forg- forgive me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Anyways, let's start. Let's start. You know, I'm not going to go chronologically in order, but I will start with the first podcast because that's what, what got the whole thing started. And that was uh, a conversation with the one and only Michael Felger. Uh, who, we, we made some headlines because we, you know, screamed at each other on the radio for a little while. He works his ass off, uh, as he let people know, and we uh, hashed it out in the podcast. So uh, he had some thoughts about paternity leave. They, uh, it's interesting. He, here's here's Felger explaining his his thoughts on paternity leave. But my it's, question, you know, what's hung with me? Yeah. Because you seemed, I mean, obviously you work hard. I'm not trying to say you didn't. But it seemed to indicate that if you had taken, say, two weeks off or even one week off when your daughter was born, that you wouldn't be where you are now. And I just think that's that's not right. Maybe you need to hit that pause button. Maybe you need to actually step up because right now in 20, I don't know how old your kids are, six years ago. And five. So five years ago, your show was two years old. If you missed a week, if you missed two weeks, I still think you'd be sitting where you are right now. I understand it's a mindset. It's but a mindset, just in a specific exactly situation, right. I think you could be, I think you would have, your career would have survived. In a vacuum, you're right. The week doesn't matter. But if I hadn't approached my career and these jobs the way that I do, then I wouldn't be where I am. I'm sorry. I just wouldn't because I'm not that talented. I'm not clever or witty like, say, Toucher and Rich are, or I'm not... I'm not particularly smart, and you wouldn't know it, but Maz is smart. Like, I I don't have those things. Uh, What I have is the people that I work for. You can ask people in this building or any building. I grind it out. I show up every day. And that's, I think that's almost the only reason I'm here. Mm -hmm. So if I didn't have that mindset, I don't think I'd be here because I couldn't be here on my wit or intelligence or those things by themselves. I couldn't. But you'll be taking vacations. You take your time off. You do take time off. Different. Well, it's still you're not here. I think vacation's different. I know this is going to sound hypocritical, but I do think vacations are different because you you do deserve your time. You yep. know, you get your time. And in a case for, for me, my time is even negotiated. You know, mm-hmm. there's a value to it. Right. You got to uh, time it. You got to pick what, what time of year you go. Well, no. When I'm negotiating a contract, I can negotiate more 
vacation time versus more salary. And that's a negotiated thing that I've earned over time. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not saying people don't deserve their time. Of course people deserve their time. It's sort of that this new thing that's cropped up in between, which is it's not vacation time, it's leave. It's personal days, it's leave time, it's those sort of things. Yeah, but that how many kids are you really going to have? How, how many times is it going to really impact your work? Once, twice, maybe three times? I mean, kids, people are really aren't having six kids that much these days. So I think it's, it's a, you called it uh, one of your core things. Paternity leave, which is an odd core thing, I think you could admit. It's an odd thing <laughs> well, to sort of over. It's say. Not, okay. It's not one of my core things. On the, on the radio, at least as it pertains to sports, maybe. But, but, I, but I do think it's, it's paternity, much more minor than... Paternity is different than... Like, you've never heard me rant about a bereavement leave or those other things. Oh, well, you know, Xander Bogart's got, Xander Bogart's <laughs> got four days and he took five. Or he got three and he took four. Yeah. For a grandmother in Aruba, like... I don't know. The, he got three and he couldn't get back in time. Like that. That's different. I'm not begrudging his time to go there. Yeah. Uh, it was the extra time that he took to get back and not the you know maybe the travel thing. But but either way, bereavement's different and health leaves and those things are totally different. Mm-hmm. I, I don't rant and rave about that. Yeah. You know, you have a family situation or a health situation that's different. Yeah. I, you won't find me saying stuff about that. Do you have any hesitation? Paternity leave when everyone's healthy. Do you have any hesitation, though, going on the air and saying that, not knowing the specifics? I mean, you really can't in your position. You can't hold off until you know the detail. I mean, maybe in Bogart's case, his grandmother raised him. Maybe, you know, in my case, maybe my wife was in the getting getting taken care of or my daughter was, you well, know, in the... Well, that's why I always the, say, if, if it's a generic yeah, child, I know, I know. it's a but bad you, word, but it, that's what I mean. If, if, if it's a health situation, it's a health situation. That's different. So for you, it's just preceding it with an if... And then that That's clears you for do. the rant. Yeah, but it never clears me. I always, you yeah. know, people always say, oh, Felger, what if, you know, I had this, I had that. And then everyone gives you their story. Yeah. I but, mean. No, I'm it, the bad guy. I'm the asshole. It's just, I'm used to it. But I, I can't, I can't take back the way I feel about this one. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he says that he's, he, he kept saying through the thing, I don't, I don't, I know I'll, I'll be considered an a-hole. I don't want to be the a-hole. And then he espoused his a-hole thoughts. So, I mean, it just kind of comes with it. But I mean, as we've learned recently, Felger, uh is uh, not not necessarily averse to being considered the a-hole. So it's just kind of uh, kind of uh, part and parcel for the Felger experience. And uh, here's here's Felger's logic, uh, which I find I listened back and I was like, geez, I wish I picked up on this a moment. Listen to this. If the, the company didn't give you a paid leave, would you have taken it? I would have taken my vacation probably because I had to. Okay, that's what I did. You know, okay. that's, well, that, that's I, how we're doing the same to, thing. That's then. how it used to be. Then you're doing the same. That's I mean, not, that's not true. I just told you vacation okay, but is, I'm not gonna... is, is earned and that's your time. These leaves are sort of the company's time. That's becoming your, you know, sort of this middle ground. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I know you're very pro management from our uh, two years I'm worth of deflate gauge fights. I'm, I, I'm just, you're, you lean that way. If no. you were a judge uh, in the second I'm circuit court not. of appeals. I'm definitely no? pro labor. Definitely. That wasn't a labor thing. Eh, just no, there was a lot there, but. So yeah. it's, it's really just the, the technical work aspect of it being paternity leave as opposed to time away from work. Well, like I said to you, uh, that vacation time is earned. That's yours. And in some cases, it's negotiated. In some cases, again, like mine, I can negotiate salary for extra vacation time. And that's, and, and that's earned over time. It's the, the paid leaves that are somewhere in the middle. And it feels like the paid leaves have increased over the years and people taking paid leaves have increased over the years and that's sort of that's somewhere in the middle between company's time and your time but you always get your time is it not earned just by being employed by a company that offers it i suppose so he said that's what i did so you took the paternity leave you just had a different name come on felder 
it was a frustrating conversation, but whatever. At least it was civil. That was the important part. And then, uh, you know, people wanted to get to know Felger. Uh, no one really has ever gotten to know Felger. He's a mystery man. Uh, Fred and I talked about that at one point, uh, how it's, it's just sort of Felger's his, his own unique being. But uh, here's at least, you know, people always ask, is it real? Is he faking it for ratings? Is he just a troll? I've always told people no. I mean, the guy has gone at me for some Deflategate stuff off the air when no one's listening and no one cares. I'm like, just can we relax for a second? Like, I'm trying to eat my lunch. So here's, here's when I asked Felger, you know, is it real? Is it genuine? And what his approach to the show is? I think it's it's pretty interesting. Well, I think people think sometimes you like invent your takes for the radio. But oh. as someone who's been pestered by you off the air about <laughs> things that at the moment I could have cared less about, uh, I can t- attest to it being genuine. I've seen it in your eyes. Just of being... course, I do not. I definitely do not make up takes. Definitely not. I try to think differently, Mike. I mean, but right. that doesn't mean that you're you're making it up. It means. Well, what's another way to look at it, and how's another way to approach it? And you'll find that a lot of people say the same thing about a certain topic. Well, what if you look at it differently and approach it differently? I mean, you are a talk show host, so you do have to approach things differently to get a different point of view to elicit a different reaction. I think that's important to do. You can't make it up, and if you do make it up, people will see through it, and they'll know it. But I think thinking differently is... And approaching things differently and trying to elicit certain responses is is crucial. I mean, and the Patriots are the best example ever. Right. I mean, right? when they're that successful and they're winning twelve to fourteen games every year, it's the easiest thing in the world to show up and say, "Well, you know, Bill knows what he's doing." You give him a break on that one because he's right on so many things, and that's true. But you also have four hours to fill. Mm-hmm. You still have to do a. You still have to do a talk show. Mm-hmm. You still have to. So when he does mess up, and he does, you bring it up and you hit it hard, and. I just think that's important to do. I think that's important to do with any of these teams. All right, that's enough, Felger. That was probably too much, Felger, you could argue, and you'd be right. Um, again, my room is shaking right now. I think maybe there's an earthquake going on. I don't know. I'll never know. If this is uh, my last transmission, then it's been a pleasure serving you all as a dutiful podcast host. I died doing what I loved. We're recording a podcast by myself in a room that's shaking. Anyways, uh, let's keep it sports hub for a minute. Uh, let's go to Hardy. Hardy got a lot of uh, a lot of positive reviews. And uh, having, you know, I've been gone from the Sports Hub now for, what's today? Uh, so three full days, and I miss Hardy already. He's, uh, I miss him. I miss him just looking at me with disgust as I went into his office to try to talk to him, and he was busy, and I would talk about absolutely nothing, and he'd look at me with dagger eyes. That said, get the hell out of here, kid. And I'd say, oh, you're so funny, Hardy. Anyways, uh, here's Hardy, who has worked sitting right next to Scott Zolak every single day for the last eight years. So I asked him, what's that like? And ever since then, you've sat next to Scott Zolak every day of your yeah, life for yeah. seven, for eight years. Yeah. How do you, how do you, you probably get a lot of questions about that. What's I do. That? Because I, I see Zoe here and at events and things like that, and it's certainly not an act. He is always like that. I imagine when he's at home, he's quiet and in himself, but sitting next to him every single day, all those days, all that energy, all those things, what, what, how do you sum that up working with Zoe? I, you know, I've got a couple of stock answers for this. I don't want the stock answer. I want the real answer, deep down in the heart. I love the guy. I mean, I, we drive each other crazy, uh, and 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 he drives me absolutely nuts sometimes. And I'm sure I I, I drive him nuts. And there are days he just can't stand the the sight of each other, but not even for a day. With Zoe, he has a you know a certain way about him where you. A, can't stay mad at him, 
and B, he can't stay mad at people. He's just a good dude. The this, this, this stock answer, honestly, Hurley, is, is the truthful one. He sounds like a, you know, a 12-year-old on the air. Mm-hmm. In real life, he's more like a 10-year-old. Mm. He is okay. you know, even more so. He's, he's on his best behavior on the air. He is, I mean, just overflowing with like energy and passion. He bounces around. And, I mean, I, I love him. And, I, like you said, it's been every day for almost it'll be eight years in the fall. Right? Right. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. 09 to 017. Wow. I'm not good at math, but I'm thinking we're closing in on eight. Yeah. It just becomes, you know, part of, part of your life. And he's one of these people that's just in my life as much as, you know, anyone is over these last eight years. More so in, in a lot of ways. But uh, he's a character. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. Freaking loon. I mean... His whole life is an interesting, the whole process, and, and the rise of Zoe is a, a, a book in itself so it, that will someday be written, do hopefully some, by Zoe. What, if, if you ever have a chance to be, like, out on the town with Zoe, it is something special. And it doesn't have to be, like, Foxborough or even Boston. You can be down at Fox. Chandler, Woods. Arizona was a was a good time. Yeah, but there's a lot of Patriots fans down there. I'm just saying, like, go to yeah. Connecticut, go to Fox. But yeah, there's a lot of Boston people that I like every ten seconds. Zo, sup, Zo, 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 Zo. And he, it's the most natural thing in the world for him. He's a magnet. Yeah, like there's a, there's no act with it. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm, not phony. Mm-hmm. There's no, none of it's an act. That's him. If it is, it's a very it's a 24 hours, seven days a week act. I'm telling you, it's not an act. And hey, while we're talking about Zolak, and he's a pretty interesting guy, I, I, I contend that you could make a movie about Scott Zolak's life because it's really fascinating from start to not finish because he's not finished. He's not, he's not old. And uh, it's, it's crazy how he has risen to basically taking on this cult following status from a, a, a kid growing up in, in the, on the shores of the River in uh, Pennsylvania. Now he's... Yeah, it's sort of a, a, I don't want to say he's the king of Boston, but a lot of people like Scott Zolak. So here's uh, Zolak was on, and we talked about a lot of things. I asked him if he hated Pete Carroll, because I was hoping to bash Pete Carroll, and unfortunately, he loves Pete Carroll, which was a real letdown for me. But uh, here's here's a story that uh, Zolak shared about Pete Carroll and, uh, and Bill Belichick. Oh, but Pete was the coach, right? Pete was the head coach. Any contact? They ended up bringing in John Freeze. I called Pete. I love Pete. Ah, uh, I was hoping we get some Pete bashing. I tell you what, Pete bashing. When Pete was at SC, if my kid was an eighteen-year-old stud, he's going to play for Pete. Yeah, passion, energy. It's just never, never. Pete's a guy that never has had a bad day. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because when we would lose and Parcells would be there, or Bill, it's like walking on eggshells, man. Like you didn't want to be in the building. And it, I, I think part of Pete to where he didn't have a chance was the inmates running the asylum because right. things were so hard and harsh under Parcells that, you know, we as a team, we knew we had a good team. We I think we could get away with some things with Pete. And I think people took advantage of that. Yeah. That was sad. And Pete got a raw deal there. Well, Pete, Pete was in a tough spot. His career's worked out, too. He has. Hey, well, the most impressive you. thing about Pete, that whole environment that he created out in... Um, Seattle? No, in, uh, at USC yeah. and down in Compton. That's kind of where where the campus is. It's, it's tight down in there. He took that and made it work at the next level where nobody ever thought the collegiate style environment, open locker room, loud music, let's have fun, let's attack. Like they were here a year ago when they beat him and Brady yeah. mismanaged the clock. 
I'm going there talking to Pete, and he's check us out, man. He brought me a locker. We got a sound system in here. He's got <laughs> hey, so what kind of song you want to hear? Hey guys, my boy Zoe, what kind of song you want to hear, man? I said, I don't know. Pete put on the door. Hey, put on the doors for my man. And that's and the that's way it the is. guy. I mean, that's you, that's you got, Pete. You got a lot of play. It would play it a million times on NFL yeah. Network. That is the stupidest call I've ever seen. And Pete's, you know, un- that's on Pete unharmed. And he said, "Yo, hey, hold it against it's you." It's like we call that play Halo. And I know, you know, <laughs> Felger Mass played all the time with Jimmy. It's a great call if it works. It's, that's just, <laughs> it's just like you don't say those things, no, you know. But it, I mean, it's the dumbest call. It was. I I I was stressing that night because I was like, I'm gonna have to. Okay, I'm gonna have to wholly respect Pete Carroll as a very good to great NFL head coach with two Super Bowl wins. Now, so I was relieved right. that that was gone, but I still have to respect now, the man. Me visually looking at that, think it's the dumbest call because of who who he had next to him, number 24, Marshawn Lynch, and how hard he was running in that game. It's like, zero it runs like, of zero yards that night. Okay, well he did have a negative negative run earlier in the first half. So this is what happened a week after the game. So I'm getting in there, and we do a wrap-up segment for All Access. Uh, and that's where I get to sit with Bill, and we go through six plays, plays of the game, and he diagrams them and does the Bellistrator. Good video. So he pulls me aside, and he goes, hey, after all this hubba balloon and this, and he says, I heard what you said about Pete. It's the dumbest call in Super Bowl history. I'm going to help you out here, okay? So you're going to take this so that before you say something, try and look at the whole picture as to why he actually threw the ball. We forced them to throw the football. And I'm going to tell you why. They widened their ends on one call. They were having some problems with Marshawn early in the game. So what they did is they put a sort of a goal line fronted down in short yarded situations down the red area earlier in the game in the first half. And Bill pulled the play up for me. He goes, watch our hands, watch our push here. And it's almost the same action where he gives the ball to Marshawn. Marshawn goes, tries to go over left guard tackle, ends up getting popped out, ends up being like a negative, negative mm-hmm. loss for two yards. He goes, so later in the game, it's the same set, same personnel. So it was the same personnel grouping that they ran the Halo pick play on. He goes, that's why I said send, send Malcolm. Yep. We're, going, we're going big goal line here. So in their mind, Bill's saying, I'm going back to that play where we stuffed him. So we're trying to push their hand, not call timeout. Let's call the defense. And let's see if they throw the ball here. And they did. And he's like, it's not just because it's a dumb play. There's a reason he threw it. Yeah, but did you counterpoint at all and say he just picked up five yards on first and goal from the seven? No, because Hightower made that stop, you know. But then you put the pressure on them. You don't yeah. call time. Yeah, that was. You know what? Let's stand here with our arms crossed. Let's let's make them expedite the process a little bit. And they couldn't pull it off. They choked. Does Bill, they choked. Does Bill give you a lot of stuff like that where he helps you? Uh, that was the best thing he ever gave Yeah, Yeah. I thought that was pretty good perspective because I find it interesting. I mean, this is so Pete Carroll that – Zolak's call becomes legendary. That has got to be the dumbest call I've ever seen. And yet, Pete Carroll's like, "Hey, buddy, how's it going? Yeah, come on in. Check out our, check out my stereo system. It's you can't offend that guy. It's really something to behold." So, uh, I probably could have done more Belichick behind the scenes stories, but I don't. Zoe's still doing that, so I don't think you're going to get a ton. I thought I was happy with what we got. But speaking of some Belichick behind the scenes, I uh, had Matt Chatham on, who won three Super Bowls with the Patriots. And he shared a story of what it's like to be in Bill Belichick's doghouse, which is not good. He, it was a story from a game they played in Denver, and he picked up two special teams penalties, including a personal foul, which when you're a fringe, you know, you're on the lower portion of the roster and you're, you're out there on punt coverage and punt returns, you can't really afford to be taking those penalties. So Chatham explained what, what life was like uh, when, he, uh, when he goofed. And the long snappers mm-hmm. jogging under it and looking up in the, eye, uh, up in the sky at the ball. 
and I just cleaned them. You know, <laughs> I mean, it took the shot before the ball was there. I thought technically, you know, you may think it's a little dirty, but I didn't think it was illegal because I got there before the ball landed. But uh, they didn't agree with me. So I got a flag there, and that hurts the team, obviously. You know how they, they, they feel about those kind of things. And then later in the day, after I'd gotten that first one, I was blocking my guy in punt return, and I was really kicking his ass. I had him tied up really good, and maybe threw him down. I don't remember. I just I really had him tied up way away from the play, 30, 40 yards, and just had him dominate. I was pleased with what I did. I was going to jog off and get high fives from everyone, but then, oh, shit, crap, there's a, there's a flag, you know, and I got I got a holding penalty there. So you can imagine special teams player that just has a, a, a minor role on defense at that time, two flags in a game that we lose in ugly fashion down there, and it was one of those games where – where, where uh, the, a lot of the organization traveled with the team, you know, it was like, you know, the plane was full with marketing staff and, and the crafts and some other family members and maybe clients or whatever, but it was a really packed locker room after the game. And I remember coach Belichick comes up afterwards. This, this slide will never forget this. And uh, we walk up and uh, you know, he's like the defense stunk. He's first of all, he's just kind of everyone get in here. Let's get on this plane. He says the defense stunk, the offense stunk, and Matt f-ing Chatham. All right, everyone get in here. Put your hands in. We're getting on this plane and getting back to Foxborough. And that was it. And I was like, uh oh. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I've got family there at the game. I'd bought tickets for some friends, a guy that was in my wedding that lived in Fort Collins and Denver area. They're all waiting outside. And I walk out ghost white. I'm like, dude, I think I'm done. (laughs) I think I just (laughs) not much sleep that night. I take it right, exactly. So you know, then I come back and and to find out years later, uh, Rob Ryan uh, was my position coach at the time, and Brad Seeley was my special teams coach who held me in high regard for that part of the game. Uh, Those guys were always going to bat for me, Pepper Johnson, and they knew I was a little crazy. I liked getting fights, and probably when I look at you know. Uh, analyzing teams and guys are going to make rosters now like I was maybe a little bit of a loose cannon but sometimes special teams units need that you just need one that's a little smarter than I was at the time so I was kind of the meat the enforcer on a lot of those things and I had to learn sort of where the line was but they went in and fought hard for me on staff meetings earlier that next week and they would sort of jokingly tell me later that he wanted me cut (laughs) so but it was something that years later we would we would also talk about and say man you know you you, you fought through that adversity because trust me, blocking the next couple weeks, two, three weeks, you're terrified someone's going to throw a flag, but you got to do your job, right? You got you know, and right. I got to latch guys, tackle them, basically just really try to over physical guys on every play. And you're just terrified, you know, your butthole so tight, like that I'm going to get yeah. a flag. And that was rough. And, but I survived it. Yeah. Apparently uh, Bill wanted to cut Chatham after that. So uh, he stuck around he won some Super Bowls actually tackled the streaker at Super Bowl 38 uh, made the made the tackle on the final play of Super Bowl 38 a kick return I think it was Rod Smart and made the first tackle in Gillette Stadium history he learned all those things on the Matt Chatham podcast uh, what's next what's next oh I had Randy Scott on last week uh, ESPN Sports Center morning anchor you see him every morning 7 to 10 7 to 10 sure 7 to 10 we'll go 7 to 10 7 to 9 7 to 10 sure I have a job I don't sit around in my PJs all day watching SportsCenter, but uh, Randy Scott was nice enough to come in. I say nice enough to come in because he told us his schedule to be on the air at 7. He lives in Massachusetts, so there's obviously a commute built in, starts there, and he explains his hectic life, and I don't understand it. Now, it's a, it's a hundred and some, it's like a hundred miles door to door for me. Not ideal, it's not but great. not great, but you wake up at probably three in the morning and do it. So. I have to be there at four, so no, <laughs> I wake up at 1.45 in the morning. And I leave about 
I'm not gonna like outline a burglary, but like I leave <laughs> at an early hour. You go to you wake up at one forty five. Yeah, one forty five. Why do you have to be there at four if you're not until seven? Uh well, because you can't just show up and. Do I know, it. but three hours. Not I'm not I'm not Dan Roach. You know, uh, no one I'm not, is. I'm not that pro. No one is. Three um, hours? Yeah, three. Yeah, you got to show up at three hours because you got it. You got three hours to write. You got different highlights each hour to plug in your note. Um, so yeah, so I got to get in there. I get in there, like I aim for four. It's like four fifteen. One forty-five though. Yeah, man. It's Most early. people aren't in bed yet. They're still watching Van well, Pelt. Okay, but has having a child hasn't that changed your sleep habits? Yeah, it's made bit. it made it worse. Made, made it, it worse. Awful. Yeah. So but how like, do you have children in that? Because uh, there are times you probably don't go to bed till one o'clock. No, that's the thing. I go to bed. I'm. I can't remember the last time I saw the other side of, of midnight. Okay, so you get Literally. an hour and a half at least every night. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, like you sleep. I I put the kids down because wife's at work, and well, she she helped. Like that's one of the reasons we live where we live, so she can come home sometimes in between her six and eleven newscast. Mm-hmm. Especially because we have a baby now, so it's you know he doesn't. I don't have anything that he wants. No. So I can relate. He'll come home. She'll come home and do that. And then, yeah, I try to get in bed after that. So I'm in bed by like 930. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's tough. I, I wanted to talk about your, your morning schedule. I didn't know it'd be that bad. Well, yeah. So then I come home. I mean, so you get a babysitter, right? Like having a babysitter is, is key. So I come home. You have home, how many children? Three. That's like a hundred. It's a lot. 145 in the morning. 145. That's, that's non-human. I don't know how anyone lives like that and he was normal when he came in he looked like a guy that you'd see on the street just walking around as if he woke up at 8 a.m not 1 45 a.m and that is that is psychotic but you know you gotta you know you pursue your dream job there's the lesson you gotta do some crazy stuff even when you get your dream job you still gotta wake up at 1 45 in the morning good god every day you can do it once maybe every oh god every day i'm rambling i'm rambling speaking of rambling Here's more of my pocket. No, here's uh, Randy Scott told the story. He went to a, a friend's wedding, and for whatever he didn't explain why, but there were a ton of baseball players there and athletes, and uh, one of those is Kevin Euclidus. And uh, Randy's a Raiders fan, so he, uh, he 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 doesn't like Tom Brady. That's probably we had the conversation before the Patriots absolutely embarrassed the entire Raiders franchise in Mexico City. Uh, so here's a story Randy uh, accidentally spilled his guts about Tom Brady in front of company that didn't appreciate hearing it. I can I tell a quick story? And yeah. I, have I told you the story? Yeah. Um, I don't know what story it is. The wedding story in South Carolina? No. So I went to a wedding in South Carolina. Walk in. Lester's there. Beckett's there. Lackey's there. Um, Jason Biggs is there. I don't know. I still don't really oh. know why. Okay. Uh, Gardner's there. Euclid's is there. Jason Biggs might have been wedding crashing. Uh, <laughs> with his wife. With his wife. Uh, and I sit down next to my friend Braden, who is Nick's roommate. Braden is Kevin Euclid's cousin. Sit down. It's the Raiders playoff game against the Texans. Uh, Braden knows I'm a Raiders fan. The game gets out of hand during the ceremony, and he's nudging me and showing me his phone and talking shit. And Euclid's is like, why are you a Raiders fan? Why does Dan Levitard hate you? Like <laughs> He sort of like throws that yeah. out. And we go from the ceremony. The game's out of hand. We go to the cocktail hour, and Braden goes, "Why? Sh- you've lived in Boston long enough. You just be a Patriots fan. I'm like, no. You know why, and Euclid's like, why? And I'm like, tuck rule, you know, rule so bad, it was repealed, legacy built on a lie. Like, I just, like, I start start getting into it. It's a member of the Brady clan. I didn't know that. So Euclid's wife is like, what's your, what what do you have against Tom? And I'm like, what don't I have against Tom? (laughs) And I start ticking through it. And it was right around the time his, like, sleepwear line came out. Yeah. And I'm like, why do you need pajamas? Like, sleep with your shirt off like a man. Like, what's wrong with you? And she's like, well, what don't, don't you think he's handsome? And so I know now that she's just with me right. at the time. I didn't know it. 
at the time. So I'm like, you know what? And you know, uh, Brayden's <laughs> like, Brayden's like, well, you're just getting, you know, you're getting loose because you're away from the kids and. And you know your, your wife's pregnant or whatever. It, it, somehow my wife being Randy pregnant, had a beer. My wife being pregnant came up, and she goes, "Oh, do you know what you're having?" And I said, "I hope we're having a boy because a guy who grows up in a house of girls, because I have a boy and a girl, <laughs> a guy who grows up in a house of girls grows up to be a whiny, shrill oh, little boy. punk like Brady. Like you ever hear him talking to his teammates on the side, like, come on guys, come on Jules, like that sort of thing.' And she is dying laughing. So the night goes on, and apparently I did this all night." And I stopped short of getting into like, how do you not know this personal life? I'd forgotten. I I had totally forgotten. And so the next day I'm connecting, flying back and I see pictures on Facebook and I had a great time with, with Uke. And I was like, man, did I have a good enough time? Can I send him a Facebook friend request? Cause I see him popping up in photos (laughs) and I'm thinking about it. And then I see his wife and I I expect to see Julie Euclid on Facebook. Nay, not her name, Julie Brady. Yes. And then it's like, you know, I see dead people. He was dead the whole time. Like, it all the tumblers fall into place in my head. And you already have the post-wedding scaries, you know, as you're flying back. Right. And what I'm did like, I do? What did I say? And I'm like, Who oh, did I no. say it to? So I text Brayden, and I'm like, buddy, tell me I didn't spend all night ripping Tom Brady to Tom Brady's sister. And he goes, dude, she thought it was hilarious. Like, he writes back. He's like, she was in on it the whole time. You didn't cross any lines. You were fine. It was funny. Nothing she hasn't heard. Nothing profane. Nothing family. You know, blah, blah, blah. You gave him respect, at, you know, as the greatest involved. Like, you... You acknowledge the things you should have acknowledged. You were just funny and Raiders fan. So, wow. so yeah. So just, but it was frustrating because it made me like the Brady family more. Right. You know, and everything I've learned, everything I got to experience about them has just reinforced that. Well, all the crap. So you it's frustrating. Hear, all the crap you ever hear on Twitter about ESPN, <clears throat> they the Brady family has probably heard fifty times over about <laughs> their their brother <laughs> slash son slash yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's probably fair. You gotta know that. You gotta know I that. I should have known it, and I did. I just didn't know it in that moment. Mm. Those moments. Well, you deserved it, I think. Yeah, you always want to maybe not bash Tom Brady, the Tom Brady sister, but I think they're they're used to it. That's probably harmless. And Randy's nice enough. No one could ever be mad at Randy. I'm pretty sure. Um, though he did talk about how he gets mad at every he, he he keeps he keeps a list of of grudges that 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 he encounters on Twitter or otherwise. He's he if you said something bad about Randy Scott in 2005, he's still mad at you. So you better apologize soon, because who knows what what he might say about you. Uh, speaking of grudges. Speaking of, that's a transition. You hear that? Professional. Uh, speaking of grudges, Jerry Carabas from uh, Barstool Sports was on, and this was before he made the move to New York. This was when he was, I mean, he was pretty big, and the reason I had him on was because it was like, dude, every time I turn on my radio or my TV, I have to see your stupid face and hear your stupid voice talking about the Red Sox, and I'm sick of you, so what's your deal? So he was nice enough to answer that question. It was, you know, pretty cordial. But uh, he's a grudge guy, too, big-time grudge guy. And uh, no bigger grudge. He holds no bigger grudge than the one for Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe. So he talked about that a little bit. You take numbers, don't you? What do you mean? When people call you out, you you got a oh, bank, yeah. you got a memory bank in there. Oh yes, grudge yes, holder. I do. Yeah, I'm a big time grudge. Because for me, I mean, people say stuff. I mean, I'm not exactly a big wig, but I've done enough where it, I'm talked about and mentioned, and whether it's written or on the air or stuff like that. And I, I'll remember it, and I'll sort of remember that person said something bad about me, but I'll just kind of. Fuzz it over because I don't want to fixate on it. I guess, and I'm not like a, a namaste, hold hands, <laughs> yeah. kumbaya type of guy. Right. But I, I think I just find it easier maybe to just not address it. But it seems like you got a list, not written down, but just in your head that oh, you yeah. don't you don't need to double check. I remember everything. Yeah, I've always been that way. You know, I've I've always even just in my personal life, I remember every <laughs> little detail. Um, 
I think you know for for writing wise for writing purposes like it helps you that way because this I, I have so many different things that I can just re- reference back to um, well when you did come out with the Pete Abe manifesto yeah. clearly that was uh, a long time coming in yeah. the old Carabas brain yeah that was uh, you know I was I was taking notes every time that he would kind of chip away chip away and piss me off I was like <laughs> I'm making a note of all this and it's gonna come out eventually when you just give me a little push and that's all it took and yeah I kind of just you know ripped him to shreds because he deserved it I, I didn't feel bad for that and I don't regret it I, I also liked uh, having Carabas on because I, uh, I've sort of wrestled with I grew up a diehard sports fan and now I'm you know on the other side of 30 and for the past I don't know five years it's it's I'd be lying I'd be disingenuous if I said I was a fan like I don't spend my money I'm not I'm not emotionally hurt when the home team loses like I, I lost it somewhere along the line I never know whether it's because of the job that I pursued, just because of my life, because of various things, because I think all the teams winning championships has had a lot to do with it. Like in my formative years from the age 18 to 25, they all won and kind of uh, ruined the, the pursuit aspect, I would say. That, that, that probably factored in, but it's clearly... I'll, I'll, I'll work all this out on a psychologist, psychiatrist couch someday, but uh, I asked Carabas about uh, his fandom, and, and he explained how the Bobby Valentine year actually almost made him quit writing altogether. I find, and, and you know, I talked about my fandom sort of dying on the hill years ago. I find it is much easier to do my job when the Red Sox are a disaster. Mm-hmm. The Bobby V year, work-wise, was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, misery and things like that, obviously it was, I don't revel in, in everyone around me being miserable. But every day I would get to work and I knew I would have some sort of gem from Bobby Valentine to just mold into this story. And it just built and built and built. And beyond that, you know, the the, all right, the collapse in 11 wasn't that great to cover because it just kind of, it wasn't as obvious. It kind of was just a, an abrupt ending. But I, in general, I find when the Red Sox are in shambles, it's a lot easier content-wise to write about them, to cover them. It's different for you, I imagine, because you're a fan. You're not going to be like, "Yes, they're falling apart." This is, mm-hmm. I can write a good blog. So, how is is do you find that at all being some sort of weight of a balance? Yeah. So I I almost gave up after 2012 because of that. Like I so I was at the time uh, the New England gave baseball up being a fan or gave up writing? gave up writing. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. like the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. So in 2012, I was at the New England Baseball Journal. And they had adopted sock space. So this was like the really the first time I was getting paid to do sock space. And I I mean, I got into it. I mean, that, that was really the first year. Like if I started in 2006, I mean, like they didn't make the playoffs that year, but they, they still were above 500, I believe. 07, they won a title. And then 08 was probably the best year that Francona had. 09, they made the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of... Guerrero hit that ball. Yeah. Yeah. Off Papelbon. Papelbon. Yeah. But I think... You know, that year it was just, there were more stories that just weren't about baseball. Yeah. And, you know, I'm writing about like Lackey's divorce and like Pedroia's doing this and that in the clubhouse. clubhouse and, the the know, texting. Yeah. Bobby the, Valentine the, hates Kevin Euclid. That was and, Patriots Day. That was that was when they actually won a couple day, games in a row. Yeah. And then he comes out and says that Euclid wasn't trying or, yeah. or something to that effect. Yeah. So, like, after that, I was like, this this kind of sucks. Like, this is miserable. Well, it started in the spring, too, with the, yeah, it was the right off fight. the bat. Yeah. Yeah. Right off the bat. And so I think, like, after that year, it had been so miserable to cover that team. And I put together a resume and sent it out to 40 different news outlets in this area, being like, you know, I want to be your Red Sox writer. And um, I got two emails back 
one was a no and one was a, uh, you know, we'll let you know if something opens up. And obviously I never heard back from them again. So I was like, well. Add them to the list. Yeah. Add them to the list. I, I was just like. I guess I guess I'm not going to do this professionally. And that's really when I took college more seriously because I was just going part-time like whatever. Like, I didn't care about school because I wanted to do this. It's cuz it's a scam. It is a scam. Yeah. So That's I, another podcast for another day, but yeah, college is most can, certainly a scam. Yeah, bring me back for the college is a scam podcast cuz I'd like to contribute. <laughs> uh but yeah, so that's when I really started to focus on my degree cuz I was like, well, sh- I'm not going to be able to write professionally, so I guess I'm going to have to just stick to doing it, you know, with my own blog, and I'll do the stupid desk job or whatever, which I I did still do. Like I left the desk job to go to Barstool. Yeah. Um, but it was just it was depressing. Like I I didn't enjoy writing negative story after negative story, and that that almost drove me away. So yeah, Bob Bob Valentine, worst manager in Red Sox history. Not only killed the Red Sox, but almost killed a, a budding career. Now look at Carabas. He, he does like 45 podcasts, wrestling, baseball. Who the hell knows? It's enough enough of Carabas, if you ask me. Take a vacation, dude. It's enough of you. Anyways, uh, ne- well, let's go to uh, Luke O'Neill. Was, he's a really good writer. If you've never read anything by Luke, if you, only, if you know Luke from Twitter, you might be surprised to read his stories because his stories are really good. He's a really good writer, and uh, we had a good conversation. He's a, he was, I think the genesis was that he's you know, a, a conflicted Brady fan because this was you know, in the early days of the, the Trump administration, which Luke is uh, decidedly not for, and the whole Brady connection. So we talked about that, but uh, where we really connected was on Twitter and living on Twitter 24 hours a day, basically, being a, an illness and something that makes life worse. So here's, here's Luke, very well thought. Uh, opinions and thoughts very well thought thoughts good sentence by me uh by luke here so moving on a little bit you are a fairly large twitter presence i would say yeah sure you, you uh you spend a lot of time on there you've you've joked that it's a mental illness yeah but yeah. i don't think that's really a joke no. i think i think all of us that are on there all day we're it's doing damage to us it really is it, it changes the way that a lot of us act and think I, it's probably uh, you know, being in the media like we are, it's 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 uh, probably affected us worse than than average people, yeah. like my friends who who don't use it as much as we do. Right. And in part, we got to stay on top of whatever's happening. Like we were saying earlier, you know, whether it's in sports or or the latest thing in in you know government. Well, there's also, I mean, as a freelancer, people are going to look at your follower count. Right. They're going to make sure. I mean, no, it certainly helps, and I think that. I, I don't know. I have a decent amount of followers, but, and and a significant uh, percentage of them are from me saying, you know, uh, doing dick jokes and you know poop jokes and shit on there. <laughs> and uh, but that, that the, when you know an editor goes to look at it, they don't know who's following me for the right for you know. You hope they just look at the follower count and they don't actually right. read the tweets. And then some of them are following me for my fine journalism, but. Uh, it's a uh, you know that you can't. There's no um, there's no such thing as a as a bad follower, as they say. Although yeah, no, I disagree are. with yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but I I find it especially since November to just be exhausting. The daily scroll through Twitter, where everything Trump does or everything associated with Trump is basically presented on Twitter as this massive calamity, and like this is going to be the catastrophe that 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 rises to the scandal level, and it's like every day. It's like a crescendo, and then it goes down, and then we all go home and go to bed, and then the next day it just starts. It's just so tiring. It really is, and uh, 
you know, I haven't looked. I don't know how long we've been talking about. I haven't looked. Uh, 20, 20, 29 minutes without 29 tweets. minutes. It's, you want to take a break? <laughs> yeah. I, this, you, like, the world very well could be ending right now, and we don't know about it. This, well, on Twitter, it definitely is. This, it there, there's is. someone presenting it that way. No, I think, um, I forget what the question was because my mind is so addled by Twitter. I no longer have a attention <laughs> span anymore. But Three sentences was one too many. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, I don't know, I think it's a great tool and it's amazing. And, and, and you know, I, I access to so much more information than I ever had and access to so much more lies and Yep. I've got access to, to I've made a lot of good personal friends on there and I laugh daily and I make people laugh daily and that's a great thing but I also am exposed to the absolute vilest horrible human beings you can imagine every day and it really bums me out and it kind of breaks my heart a little bit to see not that like it doesn't you know I, I get told I suck a good amount <laughs> but that doesn't bother me like um, it does lose its punch after it time number 3,000. But you know what does bother me is seeing that there's so many of these people out there who think that way. Like, I don't care if they don't like me, but the, just the way that they... They're dedicated to letting you know that and everyone yeah, else Yeah, and that. not even so much that they're mean to people, just that the things that they believe in, and especially with the Trump, you know, MAGA, Chuds, Pepe, you know, shitheads, it's just... Like it really drains my soul to have to see those people doing the stuff that they do. I just got to get off Twitter. That's kind of a. I think I talked every single guest that was on. We talked about Twitter because clearly that's another thing I'll work out someday on a couch with someone that uh, maybe can help me. But I'm just using you know my friends and guests to uh, help me through it. In the meanwhile, um, another guest I had who was not a friend but I'm actually a big fan of is Riley Breckenridge, the drummer for Thrice. Uh, which is the greatest band ever assembled. Um, take that, Beatles. Take that, Rolling Stones. Take that, uh, Naughty by Nature. Yeah, Thrice is better. It's it's a fact. Um, so I, I talked to him uh, for about a half hour back when the last time they came to Boston, and uh, I, I find it I, I found it kind of cool to talk to uh, you know basically one of my favorite musicians. But uh, they were pretty big in o two o three when the artist in the ambulance came out, and they were you know as big as a you know a, an alternative band could be then you know on the mtv2 circuit and you know some some video games and, and on like jimmy kimmel and stuff like that they were they were pretty big and so i asked riley what it was like what kind of pressure the the record label was putting on them in the in the in the wake of that success and i, I found i found it interesting well, I'm sure in the in the wake of the success of the artist in the ambulance way back when, there's probably a lot of pressure from the record label and the A and R people to sort of, you know, give you haircuts and dress you up like Ken dolls and, and make you into what they wanted you to be. And, and it seems like what, when you came out with Vizu, it was just such a such a change from everything that had happened. I remember the first time I listened to it, someone asked me if I liked it, and I was like, I don't know, man. I have to listen to every single track, one by one. So now that you've had however much time, ten more than ten years to to have that have happened um i'm just curious how much confidence did you need to have as a band individually and collectively to do what you did creatively there and how satisfying is it after the fact to see how well it it succeeded in launching you to sort of that that second life where everything was completely different yeah i don't don't think we would be a band anymore if we didn't make that record um it was incredibly important for us to do what we wanted to do there, kind of push back against what the label wanted, because, yes, there is that, like, we want you to work with this producer, or this hotshot producer, and you should probably get a haircut. And like, <laughs> hey, 
have you thought about maybe working out more? Like, it's, they Jesus. like to, like you said, they, they like to be involved in like everything. Or like, oh, here, why don't you guys go to this class, this media training class? You're not really very good at giving interviews or good on camera. And it's like, well, we're just not like salespeople. We're right. like musicians. We're just normal guys, most of whom are pretty introverted. Um, yeah. Um, and we kind of got like, overwhelmed by how uh, how the whole first major label record process went like we were touring our asses off like we were doing a ton of press and like super tired and we felt like we were rushed when we were making that record and um this is the the artist in the ambulance yeah and and at the end of that touring cycle as we started talking about making v2 it was like Ugh, like everybody was tired and kind of burnt out and we were just like we can't just churn out another record again and we can't go through things this way we need to kind of push back against the label and do our own thing and work with the producer that we want to work with and write the record for as long as we feel like it's going to take to write the record and uh, we're going to do what we want and uh, I don't think the label really knew what to do with that record, but um, in hindsight, I'm super proud of it. I've had a lot of people um, tell me how important that record has been, but maybe they didn't get it at the time, but they ended up loving it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that's a, a really, really, really important record for us. Um, and like I said, I, I, I really don't think we'd be a band if, uh, if we hadn't made that choice to do what we did well i'd say it worked out i yeah <laughs> the kendall comment turned out to be accurate i was just kind of guessing i was just uh roughing it roughing it Is that, get your head on straight uh i, I was just kind of going off the top of my head and it seemed to be accurate they wanted to have them work out and take media training classes when it's like nah, maybe just make them make music and perform the music it's yeah, times have changed. But speaking of times changing, I asked him about how basic because the the record industry has basically been flipped upside down for the in the past fifteen years. My favorite bands, I no longer buy the actual physical albums, and it. Where's where's the? I don't know where the party is. I don't know. I'm not invited. I don't know where that was. Are they in the ceiling? I don't feel comfortable here yet. Anyways, I asked him about the the changes to the industry and how I mean there's something missing when you don't physically own a CD it's, there's more to it than this again I think the theme of this is things all work out uh, in, in my deep deep inner soul but I asked Riley what it's like being in a band where your music is now instantly available to millions at a click but there's not that same attachment of going to the store and buying the CD as a fan I hate that like I hate not having the physical record and, and, and ha- having that whole release date and going to the store and things like that so um, from your perspective and I know you have a record coming out this summer with less art and I'm sure next year you'll have a new thrice record what is what is the perspective from from your from your side of things do you think it's better or worse now when it comes to releasing a new record uh, I think it's a little bit of both because obviously people are not selling records the way they used to. And although that's, I guess it depends on how your record deal is set up. But for most people, it's not a huge source of income, but it was a source of income. Right. So uh, not getting paid for your records is a little tough. Um, not selling records is a little tough. Adjusting to like what is a successful record in 
2003 versus what is a successful record in 2017 is weird. Um, but on the plus side, like I feel like we've got we've our music has hit the ears of so many more people than it used to, just because it's so easy to find music on Spotify or Apple Music. Like, I mean, I do it every. Spotify puts out a, a like a Discover weekly playlist every Monday, and then Apple Music does it on Fridays. And I've I've found so many cool bands that I I wouldn't have found, you know, if it's yeah. pre two thousand twelve. That I think it's awesome. Um, I wish there was a way to make streaming a little bit more profitable for artists, but um, I think. There's a way to get it there. I'm not the one to come up with that, uh, but I'm sure somebody smarter than me can can figure it out. I don't um, think that person's been born yet, but y- yeah, <laughs> 20, 30 years down the line. I'll keep my fingers crossed that we're still a band by then. Yeah, there you go. Riley Breckenridge Thrice, they're actually playing Sunday night at the House of Blues, and I'll be there. You will see me screaming off to the side, having a grand old time. Uh, so I'll see you there, right? Ollie, go see Thrice, best band ever. Uh, let's get back to a sports hub guest, uh, Big Jim Murray, who was a was a fun guest. A lot of people like that one um, because I think a lot of people really like Jim Murray. They're like, oh, I like that guy. And then a lot of people really hate Jim Murray, which I think in turn Jim Murray likes. So there's a lot going on there, a lot to unpack. Um, but Murray told some stories when he worked at WFNX, and he um, he was trying to get fired basically because um, the new ownership and some new boss and. He just wanted to get fired. He was sick of it. And this was actually a case of him not actually trying to get fired, but probably should have been fired and somehow wasn't fired. So here's that story. Uh, Sometimes when I would cut these commercials, like I would just, for my own entertainment, like ad ad lib or say stuff at the end. And then I'd cut it out. And obviously it would have to be approved by the clients and it would end up airing. So for this gun shop, I end up cutting this commercial. Like a week later, my boss calls me frantically and he's like, what did you do? What did you do? And I was like, what are you talking about? You're going to have to specify, sir. What did you say on this, this gun shop commercial in New Hampshire? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, you have to see me as soon as you get in. He goes, this is like DEFCON 1 level bad. I'm like, what, the, what did I do? And then it hit me. I was like, oh, oh, I know what I did. Because again, I was going to lunch all the time and like smoking a bunch of weed and coming back like a stoned idiot and then cutting <laughs> these commercials. So, to try to make the short story a little bit shorter, what I ended up doing was saying, you know, cutting this commercial perfectly, adding the music, but at the end it was like, so, you know, check out Smith's Gun Shop in uh, Rumney, New Hampshire at 603, blah, 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 you effing hick geeks, <laughs> with the F in there. We looked at the log, it ran 37 times. 37 times this commercial ran. In New Hampshire? Just in, or, just in New Hampshire. Okay, not in Massachusetts, because that might have made, made, made the news. That, at the end, I call the audience a bunch of effing hick geeks. I never got fired for it. We delete the commercial. So in, the, the program director, in cahoots with the guy who's, um, this guy David, who's a sweetheart of a man, who uh, was the controller, who would you know make sure the commercials got played and would take account of them so that, the, that we could bill the, the, the client and make sure we got paid. We, the three of us, were like, we're deleting this. It never happened. We're going to make sure Mike, who was the prick boss that ended up being, you know, the one that gutted the station, he's not going to find out about this. The salesperson really never heard it 
so there was like this odd complaint that came in from one listener. Again, thankfully, nobody listened. Nobody listened. The client never heard it. The salesperson never heard it. Nobody really ever heard it except for this one person, but it ran 37, 37 times. Seven times, Mike. So it ended up getting up to the chain of command of the prick boss. And we all just were like, nope, don't know what you're talking about. No, I don't, I don't know. And I never got fired for it. It's unbelievable to me that of all the things that I never really got fired for. Just life before everything was instantly on the internet seems like a wild time. I know I technically lived through it, but you don't appreciate it in the moment that, I mean, now if something like that happens, it's, it's uh, national news probably everywhere. But back then you could just sort of sweep things under the rug. rug. Must have been wild. Imagine life before cell phones. Apparently the world and humanity existed for like thousands of years before cell phones. I don't understand how. I've been thinking about that for a while and I'm not sure how. I'm going to look into that. Maybe there's a book about it. Stick with the sports hub. Fred Toucher. Uh, Fred Toucher was the most downloaded episode of the Hurley. Actually, I can't say that. I think Felger was, but that was before they were counted. So in the era of, of the new audio system that actually shows me downloads, Freddie T brings in the listeners. So thanks to Fred for that. And, uh, uh, let's see. What did we talk about? We talked about... Oh, it's, it's interesting because they're basically, you know, like it or not, folks, like it or not, Fred and Rich, Toucher and Rich, they are part of radio history. They, uh, they, they formed their show 11 years ago. They were very popular. They made the switch to sports talk. They're one of the most popular shows in the, in the country. They've been written about in, in radio trade magazines, all that. And it's the real deal. So uh, Fred talked about how the show started. It's kind of interesting, uh, the NFL draft analogy he makes. I had no idea that this is how the show was formed. Rich was having a conversation with the general manager of the radio station about us doing a show together in Atlanta. And when I was having – these are happening at the same time. And when I'm having lunch with the owner, I'm telling him Rich is having a conversation about us doing a show. And the guy says, I have no idea why Rich is talking to that guy. He's going to be fired. And there's no way you guys are doing a show here. And then proceeded to tell me how everyone hated me. I called my agent and I said, I no longer want to work for this company. Uh, I don't want to work for this company that's coming in. And uh, Rich and I then got an audition through CBS in Phoenix. And we did three overnights with Adolfo Crash and us. And then uh, we knew we had a job at CBS. Um, and then they told us it was, in, it was Northeast. And so we had to sit at a bar. Crash and I sat at a bar. It was like the draft. <laughs> I have no idea why they did this to us. Absolutely no idea why they did this to us. But they had us, they called, my agent called me like at a specific time to tell us what city we were going so to. So you could have been like Hartford, New York, well, Boston. I knew I, well, I wasn't going to go to Hartford. Well, <laughs> it was it New York or Boston or Philly? No, or no, no it could, like Pittsburgh, Philly, Boston. I, I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be New York. But Pittsburgh, Philly, Boston, Baltimore, D.C., I mean, we're we're. I mean, there's a lot of cities that we were thought were, and you had no idea. Yeah, and with no idea whatsoever. And then they said Boston, where I'd been once, <laughs> and uh, and then everyone said, "Oh, it's going to be perfect for you because you're an asshole." And then everyone there is an asshole. So, Not entirely inaccurate. Uh, nice. You know what? There's no like Bible freaks down here, which were the worst in Atlanta. Mm. They'd send like Bibles and stuff, and they were all like. All that southern, like, 75 goes north, get on it. There's a lot more of that. I don't get nearly that much here. Yeah. Um, and then we did a quasi We already knew we were going to work here, and then we did an audition and started at BCN. And I had, we had both worked with Crash before, and Adolfo was, uh, the story of Adolfo was that he was just a weird kid that Rich saw hanging out by his radio station. So 
we'd made him go by bus everywhere we auditioned and ended up spending, ending up paying for him for a year to live here because they didn't pay him. And 10 years of him. That's a long time. That's a long time. What was... So yeah, hey, you've got a job, you just don't know what city you'll be doing. And that sounds... That sounds bananas. Not sure how many people deal with that on a regular basis at their jobs, but, you know, the radio business is a weird one, as evidenced by all this recent change. Uh, But uh, I think that show will keep on trucking, as far as I know. Uh, And one more from Fred, because he's got, I wouldn't say a short temper, but if you want to challenge Fred, you have to really... Be on your ga- your game. You have to be sharp. Uh, Fred will Fred will cut you. He'll cut you deep. So uh, I asked him how because he's not necessarily a political person by nature, as far as I can tell. Yet there's a lot of things that are unavoidable, given especially the past calendar year with Donald Trump, with all the sports crossovers, with with the anthem protests, everything. You kind of have to talk about things beyond. Whoa! An eagle just flew by the window. That was awesome. <sighs> Sorry. You get to talk about more than just you know sports and goofiness. There's there's topics that come up. So Fred talked about how he navigates that in this era, and this was I think right around the time he quit Twitter. So you can kind of get that sense from it. I don't want to sit there and be you know talk about politics all day, but we'll talk about it yeah. if it's a and, and in this day and age, a just I can't believe people believe this, or b it's something that cannot be ignored. It's like, like you have to weigh: is this going to be worth it? Because you know you're going to piss off. X number of people, or no matter what to, you it, say, no matter how reasonable right. you're trying to be, or, or it has to be something like, well, if you don't agree, f- you, yeah, like if you're, or not if you don't agree, but if you, if this is gonna piss you off that we're talking about it, f- you, like you had to talk about the anthem protest, right, right, uh, yeah, and yeah, so it, had to. and so it's a polarizing issue, but if I say, uh, you know, I think that they have a right to take a knee. And I don't think that that people have a right to speak for every veteran or have the right to speak for everyone, you know, and and white knight it and say that you, you know, and you've heard a lot of veterans say, don't talk for me. I have my own, you know, it's patronizing. It's paternalistic. Like, let people speak as individuals. And so when something like that goes on, we can't ignore it. And you got to have an opinion or you're an idiot. Right. So... You know, that's something that can be ignored. And if you don't like what I said, fine. But if it's going to turn you into a crazed maniac, then I look at your Twitter page and I call in. God bless you. Call in and we can fight and it's good radio. But I'll look at your Twitter page and it's going to have 75 bald eagles and and a million Trump tweets and I'm going to block you. Because I I don't want to hear from you. That person just loves America more than you. Well, that's the whole thing, the jingoism. And what I liked is when I was saying how stupid Schilling was for taking his dumb trucks down to uh, Texas. And like other shows were like... We're gonna have Schilling on, and he's gonna talk like, "Ooh, no, I don't want, I don't want Schilling to come after me." He did like, the, the, he's so loved and revered. Please, I've, I've the sacred cow that I've dared offend. I mean, give me a break. Now, speaking of political climate and trouble you can get yourself into, I had uh, Pete Blackburn, who's uh, an internet celebrity, is what I called him. He is now working for CBS Sports. I think I should should probably check that, but. He was working for Fox Sports, got laid off when they pivoted to video, which is just a great idea that they've really nailed there at Fox Sports. Having Ken Rosenthal write on Facebook for a while instead of their website was really magnificent. Uh, So Pete was on, and he talked about the time he got in a lot of trouble for tweeting a joke about Barron Trump and how Chris Christie hated him uh, for sharing a picture of (laughs) Chris Christie. 
dumping a bag of M&Ms into a box of M&Ms. So here's here's Pete's recap of that. I feel like was the Chris Christie thing your your doing mostly the M&Ms, the big M&M, the putting yeah. them into a bigger M&Ms box. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that from your Twitter. Yeah, it was it was me. Yeah, so that was you. So when he ended up having to answer that on uh, on the radio in New York, was yep. that like a career shining moment for you? So that was like a really weird well, thing. Let me explain it, or you can explain it. Basically, there was a picture of Chris Christie pouring a bag of M&Ms into a big M&Ms box, yep. and you tweeted like savage move. Yeah, it was like Chris Christie pouring a bag of M&Ms into a bigger bag of M&Ms <laughs> is a savage and perplexing move. <laughs> so uh, He got so mad that that went viral. He was he was very upset that he had to answer questions. Like he had some questions <laughs> on like on on New York radio, uh on David Letterman. <laughs> so uh yeah, so that was like a really weird thing for me because it was like that was that literally became a national story. <laughs> like the Daily Mail wrote about it and they like, like quoted me they quoted me in like the subhead they were like internet writer Pete Blackburn calls it savage and perplexing and I was like, like you're this like, is so weird you're the voice of authority on weird M&M yes. moves so that was super strange it, it's really it's really bizarre that like for I think I have like 90,000 tweets or something like that and probably 95% of them are sports related and my two or three biggest tweets of all time are, are political political tweets i don't mess with that water that's exactly it's, why. it's a rough space <laughs> it is and we might as well go to the next one the one that got you petitions to have you fired when yeah. you <laughs> made a joke about donald trump's son yeah uh, uh the, the the tweet was what that he looks like he's killed animals or something small looks, animals looks like, like he's killed at least 100 small because you know he's a young rich kid and basically he's not the first young rich kid to be made fun of but because of the sensitive nature of the country yes. during inauguration time uh the, one of the headlines that came out was Fox Sports reporter viciously attacks Trump's 10-year-old son which the internet does strange things but that must have been you kind of went dark for a few days there right because I I was suspended for a week on Twitter yeah from your work from work yeah they said don't tweet for a week don't tweet for a week and I uh, you know what that is it's just like we're not going to fire you this is obnoxious but oh like, they wanted to fire me really the president of Fox wanted to fire me like a fox of fox like like the of the president of Fox Oh, wanted to fire me. And well, you did viciously attack a ten-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and actually, like my my editor, my editor, and the guy who hired me at Fox Sports uh, had to have like a sit-down meeting with the the president of Fox, and they were basically like, "He's valuable, and uh, he's wow. he can be an idiot, but we shouldn't fire him." That's insane. It's crazy. It, like that, so, it ended up. Did, did Rupert Mur- Murdoch weigh in? Like, did it get that far? I don't think so. No. <laughs> um, but but maybe <laughs> maybe uh, it it came at like a really strange time because that was a like I was suspended for a week and during that week that I was suspended it was my first field assignment for Fox and it was the NHL All Star Game and so I was sent by Fox and I and they were like you can't you can't tweet anything about this you can't post anything online uh, good luck where, where was the All Star Game this year L A. So oh, nice. there's a lot of things that I could have covered and could have put on Twitter, and I just had to remain silent the entire time. Did you put stuff on the website? Yeah. Couldn't they have given you, like, the Fox Sports Twitter account? To... They could have, but they didn't. They probably didn't really want to like, promote you too much that I week. think it's a really bad idea, though, to suspend somebody for from Twitter for a week from their own Twitter because of a stupid thing that they posted, and then hand them the keys to the, to the brand account, which has, like, 2 million followers. You could make that argument as a corporation. That <laughs> right. might not be wise, but uh, but yeah, that was that that whole ordeal was crazy. Like I was getting like, death threats. I imagine death threats, 
everywhere. Like yeah. they would find my Facebook. They would send me messages on Instagram. They would email me uh, like petitions everywhere. Which like, is they, funny because like your Instagram is probably like you wearing like a funny pair of shorts being like, look at these green shorts. And then people <laughs> are like, you're going to die, Pete Blackburn. Yes. <laughs> Basically, you think it's funny to make fun of a 10 year old boy? <laughs> you think you can attack a 10 year old boy? So that, yeah, that, that whole segment. And it was like the inauguration was when you tweeted it, right? Yeah. And it was like, there were just people out for blood and oh, you yeah. were like, you were like the pinata. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, I, I was fearing for you at that point. Should I ask more questions about why the chief of Fox wanted him fired, but he wasn't fired? You'd think that would he would be fired if that was the case, but I don't know. He ended up uh, you know landing on his feet, so that's good. But I also uh, cleared up a big mystery in the world, which is how to pronounce GIF. I go GIF. The inventor says it's GIF. Pete is an expert at creating moving images on the internet. I don't know what graphic interchange format, maybe. So Pete, how do you pronounce GIF? So how did you get it? Well. We go in GIFs, GIFs, not GIFs. GIFs, GIFs yeah. Because I, I firmly believe in GIFs. Same. But, you know, it's it's nice. a hot dog sandwich debate out right. there. But well, you are the official boy. I mean, granted, the guy who invented it says GIFs. However, I consider you more of an authority on his product. GIFs. Okay. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery solved. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Uh, let's see. Who's next? Oh, B-Rob. So B-Rob, uh, I talked to him. It was right after the Kyrie Irving trade. And he covers the Celtics in the Boston Sports Journal just started. So we had a good basketball talk. That was probably my most sports-centric one. But we talked about, you know, the media industry, the landscape, his decision to join that, what life was like as a freelancer, uh, part-timer at the Sports Hub, all that. And, you know, things are going well for B-Rob. I'm happy for B-Rob. One of the best guys, one of the best dudes around. Got to love B-Rob. But uh, we actually were supposed to start a podcast together for a certain company. I, I wish the company very poor results i hope they do poorly because they fired us before they even hired us which i find to be uncouth so here's uh b rob and i recapping that we won't name the company but there was a, a little podcasting type startup situation that were like hey let's get that b rob kid and they did and then that b rob kid asked me to be your partner we did one Big podcast mistake. yeah i guess i doomed you but i'm top 75 once so i mean uh for itself but yeah, we were we were canned after one try, which was what like a twelve minute podcast. Not even. I think it was like eight to ten minutes. Kick to the curb after uh, one shot, a game, and no feedback. Uh, no feedback. Just a uh, a text. You know, got an email being like, "Hey, let's talk." And then it was. I was like, "Okay, what what should we work on?" You know, we have we're, we're eager to get going here. No, we're we're you're good. fired. You're you're done. We're 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 good. Crazy. And uh, did you get paid for that? No. Uh, so shame. that's uh. We got mics out of it, though. Yeah, we did. So. I'm going to start my own band and just use that one <laughs> mic to record everything. But, yeah, so the joke's on them. Look at look at us now. I had a brief stint in the top 75 of sports podcasts, and you are the Celtics man at Boston Sports Journal. That's the way the you know, yep. in their face, I guess. In their face. Only you and I will know who it was that banished us. But Maybe they'll take a second look now. Probably, well, are they going to come crawling back? Are we going to say yes? If maybe they... I might stiff arm them, <laughs> give them the Heisman. I've got my own thing now, and so do you. Did not appreciate that. Did not appreciate getting fired before getting hired. That was eight minutes of my life I'll never get back. I never got properly compensated for. The world will never know what that podcast could have been. But, hey, look at us now. You're already in this one, so thank you. Uh, another another fun guest was Rear Admiral from Barstool Sports. So his real name's Brian McGonigal. It was kind of weird referring to an adult as their like screen name but that's how it goes i guess in the in the wild west world of the internet um i've known him for a while so it was good to actually have like a nice long chat 
uh, beyond you know yelling at each other over the loud music at the garden on level nine. So it was nice. And uh, I wish we talked more about Boston and all the changes because this guy is like quintessential Boston. Like just if you talk to him, you know within three seconds that you're talking to a Boston guy. So I asked him just about the changes the city's undergone in the last 20 years because it's in a lot of ways Boston is almost unrecognizable. If your last trip here was like 1996 and you showed up you wouldn't believe half the things you see. So I asked him about it because there's no bigger expert. What's what's the, the, the craziest change in this city over the past maybe 15 years? Ooh, the craziest change. Um, or most disappointing. What I, do you miss? Um, I'll tell you what most disappointing is losing all the mom and pop shops, the mom, the, the dive bars, the good little hole-in-the-wall steak joint, steak tip places where you can go in, you can get a, uh, a steak, nice steak tip dinner, and a couple Budweisers, and pay, for, give it twenty dollars, and you're giving a, more than a thirty percent tip. Like those days are long gone. I yeah. mean, I know that other things change, but yeah, that those are the things that suck the most is losing those places that that were like home to you. You know, like yeah. I said, like mom and pop type stores, dive bars, you know, good little hole in the wall joints. Those are all gone. And I, it's funny, I, I've been out doing a lot of walking lately, and I, West Broadway is probably the most crazy development I've seen because West Broadway growing up, I mean, it had the I guess somewhat pejorative name the lower end if you live down the west side of Bro- the Southie, it was called the lower end and if you didn't live in the lower end it was kind of like lower as if looking down because yeah. literally it is low but so it was somewhat of a pejorative name but now you walk it and it's like I mean there's million dollar condos at Broadway Station now and you walk down from basically Broadway Station down to up to F Street and it's like all these new restaurants and, and believe me that's better than having a dollar store there or a family shoe store or you know all these you know like cheap stores that aren't really helping the community at all. You'd much rather have a a, fr- a a new Italian restaurant or a Mexican restaurant there for sure. But just like, you know, like Liberty Bell Roast Beef was there for my whole life. Great place to get a roast beef sandwich. That's gone obliterated. Now it's a monstrosity there. And right. it's like, okay, like, when is this enough, man? Right. I, I get it. Well, I get 80 more people that live on the block now. Exactly. And they do give, you know, they, they do make them have parking fall now. They've been doing that for, for years. Um, but it's just like as a guy who's been here my whole life. When is like when is it too much development? And and I know the city don't care. I mean they don't care about park, and they haven't since Menino was running things. You know, twenty five years ago, it's just like oh we're gonna let keep letting people in because it's money. It's more for the tax base. So I think as long as it's profitable, then people don't care. And I'll tell you, man, you mentioned the seaport. Like what an abomination that is, man. Like that could have been yeah. like the grand jewel of Boston. They could have like. Again, Menino held it hostage for 25 years. No one built anything. Then when Walsh came, it was like free-for-all. Whoever's got wants to build, go ahead. There was no grand design. There was no grand plan. And if there was ever a place in the city that called for it, you had the space. It was the seaport. It was like, I mean, the only part of it that really looks great is the, the where where well, do they call it Tony C's now? Where, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, down by the water. Yeah, the, legal, um, legal. The steak, uh, the steakhouse. Say it. The name's uh, escaped me. Strega. No, no, they're no not the, there. Oh, yeah. Del Frisco's. Okay, there we okay, go. Okay, I knew it would come. Like, you know, that area there, like they have the, the water yeah, the boats people can come walk in. by. That's good. But like over between the courthouse and Anthony's Pier 4, it was just like, hey, whoever's got the money, pay it and slap up a, a building that has no like rhyme or reason to anything yeah. near it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, certainly not I am pay over here, but like there's no like symmetry to anything. It's just ugly. It just looks like, like, it looks like someone had Legos and just built a, 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 a neighborhood there. So, and that's like five seconds from downtown, and it was such so much space yeah. that if there was a plan, it would have been 
Like a castle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a stadium there would have been the best idea. I know, obviously, the South Boston residents didn't want it, even if it only would have been eight, 12 nights a year for a football stadium. But, I mean, that would have been the perfect thing to put there. Just, I mean, a stadium on the water in Boston would have been lovely to have. But, but yeah, right now, it's just like, I don't know, man. It just doesn't look good. It's just, as long as you have the money to build... Then, then they're building up, and you know, as a as a middle class guy, a guy who you know grew up son of a firefighter, you know, didn't certainly wasn't rich growing up. You know, you're seeing it, it's becoming like Manhattan, and not in a good way, where it's just the haves and the have-nots. You're just having a city of, you know, people who make a lot of money and people who who can't afford to live with alongside those people, and you know, people like myself who are kind of like in the middle, and you know, not barely getting by, but like, you know, what you know, me and my wife may combine like. 20 years ago, we'd be comfortable. And right. now it's like, okay, you know, we certainly like get by. We have a nice house in the city that the value keeps going up, which is great. But it's also like, you know, you feel like you're getting squeezed out, man. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. That is definitely someone you've had a drink next to. If you've ever had a beer in Boston, you've basically sat next to him. So I like that conversation. Good times. Good times. Big podcaster, too. That's probably the best hockey podcast out there. I mean, hockey talk is so bad so often. That it's nice to have some like genuine hockey talk where it's not just, oh, it's too golly gee up. All the Canadian broadcast media you get about the NHL is so uppity, cheerful. Everyone's great. It's just, yeah, it's exhausting. So I listen to their podcast. Not everyone. Who has the time to listen to every podcast? That's why we're doing this one. Speaking of which, uh, Adam Jones, the uh, I, I told him he's the most controversial guest I've ever had because people just hate him. But you know what? They listen. It's it's a the sickness you all have if you if you say you hate jones but you listen and you know you do um so uh but one one place that doesn't hate jones is deadspin because they did their big manifesto on boston sports radio and how evil everyone is in boston sports radio and how bad they are and what losers they are but jones's write-up was so weak so we, we talked about how how much deadspin missed the boat when it came to bashing jones Skippy and Goatface, by the way is that what it was in the uh yeah. danny amandola draws ire of insufferable boston media yeah, but see, they blamed two people. It was just uh, Skip, you because you based the whole segment around it. And no, that's he, what it was. Then he bashed Kaufman, who wrote a blog about it. There you go. Um, well, Kaufman probably deserved it. Yeah, I mean, I think we can agree there. <laughs> and then it ends. Uh, you know, that's. Yeah, I remember we made a bit out of Skippy and Goatface. I remember we made like our own <laughs> open for like the hour of all night for like Skippy and Goatface that night. Did you make it in the big Deadspin uh, Sports Radio manifesto? No. Oh, that's garbage. Well, you should write them a letter. Uh. I can't. I think they might have mentioned my name, but they're like you didn't get your own entry. Nothing. That's garbage. No, I, honestly, I felt I, I. Oh no, no, no. What did they say? They're like he's not the baseball player. I think they made not like a cornerback. Yeah, but they didn't even do that though. They just made. They're like he's not the baseball player. Oh, well, there was the whole like uh, uh, Fenway Park thing going on with but Adam that, Jones. But so. they didn't even bring that up. It, it was just like he's not the baseball player, but he's not worth listening to, or like something like that. And I, I tweeted at them. I'm like, that's honestly the best compliment the show's ever gotten. I'm like, shout ahead. Yeah, I'm like, that's. I, I felt like I was gonna get raked over the court. When I saw that thing came out. Talk about lump in your throat. And I was like, I feel like I made out great here. I'd be very disappointed though. That would want like a big feature. Yeah, maybe Adam Jones. The guy has a five-hour show on weeknights for 98.5. I know nothing about him other than that he's not the Bengals cornerback or the Orioles outfielder. Oh, so he did say Bengals cornerback. Yeah. See, I, so I had forgotten that. Well, there you go. That's that's too bad. The next time they do that, you better demand I, more. I would be... Read Bertrand's. Bertrand's was embarrassing. And this is why I still think the person who wrote this... I don't even know who the author is. The person the person who wrote this, I don't think... Yeah. Listens. There's not much to say about Bertrand, other than that he replaced Gresh as Zolak's <laughs> partner in 2015. Why even put him in? Yeah, but didn't they have a big write-up on Gresh, too? 
Yeah, I like, think it was, it was a little dated. And like, well, yeah, it was dated, and it was like it was all stuff that like you would read off a Wikipedia page. Right. Like it's like it, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You can tell they didn't really listen. Right. So that's that's I guess the saving grace with that. But Bertrand's was embarrassing. He'd been on the air for like years, middays. Yes. And the best thing you could say is that he replaced Gresh. That's or the only thing like that's dumb. It's too bad. Yeah. There were some good ones. There were some bad ones, but. Yours is just, it's neutral. No one likes neutral. Very schmeh. I like very, to live on the edges. Very forgettable. A lot of meat left on the bone when it comes to Bashing Jones. The dead spin next time around. Call me up. We'll, we'll, we'll put together a nice little a nice little hit piece. There's, there's plenty to work with there. Uh, let's see. And, all right, we got one more. One more. Uh, Rich Shirtenleib, also a recent guest who I wanted to talk to, and I kind of mixed it up a little because I had I had talked to Hardy, I had talked to Murray, I had talked to Fred, and we did the whole like journey through rock radio and the evolution of the industry and stuff. So I kind of mixed it up with Rich, and what I really wanted to talk to Rich about was his hometown of Kennesaw, Georgia, because he talks about it in, in little snippets on the air, uh, but I wanted to get the full story. And so I believe he provided that. Five kids, Five, seven total okay. people. So we moved to this place called Kennesaw, Georgia. And Kennesaw, when you got there, there's a billboard on the way in that has a revolver on it that says, it's the law in Kennesaw on it. Because I guess a couple years before we moved there, some city in in like Illinois had passed an anti-gun law. And as a middle finger at FU, they actually wrote in their books that you are required to own a handgun by law. Which is the strangest law on the books. It might be. You have to own a gun? You have to own a gun. So did your dad buy a gun? Uh, No. No, it was never enforced. No, of course Uh, not. He's got a bunch of dumb kids who are going through all this stuff. Like, I knew where everything was when (laughs) I was a kid. You can't trust me with a gun, without a doubt. But we all had, like, um, yeah, I mean, it was, put it this way, in the downtown of the place, or actually, no, no, I'm jumping ahead, our very first weekend that we were there, they have to say, my, my, my mother sounds like she's from planet Mars when she talks to people down south. They don't know where she's from because she's got the thickest Long Island accent. That you've ever heard in your life. Right. So she is like a New York girl. We get down there, and the very first weekend, we go to the town square, and there's a Klan rally. Mm-hmm. Very first weekend. Welcome to Kennesaw. I remember her turning to my father and saying, where the hell did you just move us? <laughs> what was the age range of your siblings and you? Uh, I was second to last. When we moved there, I was seven. My little sister was one. And then I had uh, an older brother at the time who I guess would have been... 12 and 13 and then a sister who's two three years older than me so everyone's basically growing up oh yeah we're all all growing up that's crazy from puberty to a baby at that point when we're there and welcome uh, to the clan rally welcome welcome to the clan rally so you know sure enough we go to school and we're around you know all these very strange people and i remember my high school they were taking us on a tour of the school and uh, this is when i got a little bit older it's where my brothers went and uh, they're taking us all on a tour when my brothers first got there. And they say, okay, so here's the cafeteria. Uh, and uh, down underneath the cafeteria, let's go down here. Uh, this is the firing range. And they had a shooting range. Okay. That was yeah. a class you could actually take called marksmanship in high school. Yeah. You, my, yeah, every school has that. Of course they yeah. do. You know, guns in high schools, you know, what, <laughs> what, what could, could go possibly wrong? go wrong? And when I, it's, it's, it's That's weird. insane. It's, That's it's insane. It's crap insane. That like you can actually go to school... And the only, here's the only thing I didn't know, because I never knew anyone who took it when I was there, but it was like a, um, what's it called? It was the same type of class as when you took a uh, like, like car repair. We had that. Like an elective? Yeah, it was, like, it was like an elective. I take I'm it. you surprised don't, it wasn't mandated. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, listen, our school was so, aw- God, there's a million reasons why it's got awful. 
Um, but one of them being, like, did you, I take it you didn't bring your own gun to school? I, I, they only use the ones that were there, like possibly? on Fridays, usually. On Fridays, yeah. like, bring your gun it's to school like, yeah, day? BYOG. Yeah, no, but, like, the education, not a strong point at this school. <laughs> um, the high school football team, I remember I was, uh, I was actually in the freshman team at this time, and they took us out of class for a week, for the entire day, uh, yeah. to sod the soccer field. Well, yeah. Which was essentially... How else are you going to sod the soccer field if you don't put children to manual labor work? And get them out of school. Yeah. Like, for what are you the gonna entire learn? day. English? Math? Yeah, right, like, things that you would normally learn. Uh, how many times do you use English when you could actually use the sodding skills you developed? Like, just, that's just, just common Google, sense. Google Kennesaw, Georgia, and you'll find interviews with the guy who runs the store that sells the Klan robes called Wild Man Dent Meyer's Civil War Surplus Store. Nothing quite like a elective gun shooting class in your high school. It's just... You know, there's cultural differences in this country all over the place, but uh, that's one that I, uh, I, I, I... Guns in high school, bad mix. Bad mix. A lot of emotions, a lot of uh, rash decisions being made. Maybe just keep the guns at home where you're required to have a gun. I don't know. No one in Kennesaw asked me. But anyways, I think that does it. That's all uh, 16 guests, I believe I covered. If I missed anyone, I'm going to go back in and edit it and... You'll be like, how'd that get there? And you'll be like, and now you're hearing me explain what I did, and you'll be like, oh, that's why. Hurley's an idiot and doesn't know how computers work. That's correct. So anyways, thank you so much for listening. I mean that. I'm trying to sound sincere, but sincerity I'm learning is a weak point of mine, and that's why people always think I'm being a wise ass when I'm being sincere. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. And they're like, why are you being such an ass, Hurley? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I was being serious there for a moment, which is rare. But So thank you. I do appreciate you listening. I sound so phony. Um, it's been fun. I think I'm getting a little bit better at it. I mean, these new digs where my floor is shaking. Can you hear this? You probably can't hear it, but the, I mean, the room's been shaking the whole time, so uh, it wasn't my most comfortable. I don't know if anyone can hear me looking around the magazine. I don't know. It's a little... I'll, I'll get comfortable. I'll get better. But I think I am getting better at the whole process. Thanks for uh, bearing with me through some of the, the, the bumps along the way. I'm still going through them, but... Uh, It's been generally positive. I appreciate feedback, good, bad, otherwise, in between. Uh, I appreciate four- and five-star reviews on iTunes only. I do not appreciate three-star reviews at all. At all. So none of that. And uh, I hope to keep this going. Hope to get some more guests. Get some uh, more guests in the new new digs over here in the TV building. Maybe I'll get some, uh, you know, I'll work through the the BZ Sports staff and, you know, some of the on-air people here. And uh, try to get some outside. It's gonna it's gonna be tough holiday times. You ever try to schedule anything with anybody in December? It just doesn't work. It's just holiday parties here, uh, shopping there, family parties there. It just it never ends. But I will do my best to keep this thing as regular uh, through the holidays, and then really, uh, especially once football season ends, should be a lot more time to dedicate to things like this. So in any event, I appreciate you checking it out. I appreciate you catching up. If any of this was. Uh, a lot of it was doubling up for you then I thank you for listening twice and uh, if any of them tickle your fancy go back and listen to them they, they don't expire that's the great thing about podcasts so I'll stop talking now it's been quite a while uh, thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you enjoy this phony Blink-182 offspring ripoff band ending the podcast now